When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, said Jesus in the previous teaching episode. And now, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has now been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Keith. Please do keep your Bibles open. Um, we're going to be looking back at the passage and other parts of uh, chapter 14 of Luke. Uh, so please keep them open on your laps. Um, before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the parables of Jesus. I pray now that as we uh, look into this one, I pray that your Holy Spirit would inspire our hearts and minds to learn what you want to teach us. Amen. Am I sounding a bit funny? Shall I switch? You can hear me okay? Okay. <clears throat> a husband and wife decided that they wanted to host a fancy meal for their friends. They decided upon a French, a classical French menu. Uh, and when the day came, the wife went out to the supermarket in the afternoon to buy all of the ingredients. She got back late afternoon and said to her husband, I've managed to get everything except the snails for the starter. Uh, so whilst I start to cook, please could you take this bucket, go down to the local woodland and get some snails um, for us to cook. So the husband dutifully heads off on his 10-minute walk down to the local woods and uh, collects <coughs> a bucket full of juicy snails. On the way home, he passes the local pub and through the window sees his friends sat at a table in there having a good time. So he thinks, I've got time. I've got time. I'll pop in. So he pops in and, and uh, orders a pint and sits down with them. Uh, 
and they chat, they have fun, and they say, actually, it's great that you've just joined us. The match is about to start on the TV. So you think, oh, I, I, can, I can watch the first half. So he gets another pint, watches the first half with them, and by half time, it's a really, really tense game. Well, I've got to stay for the rest of it now. So he gets another pint and continues watching for the rest of them. And his team win in the last minute. So, of course, he needs another drink and a little while to celebrate the victory with his friends. So four pints in, about three hours have passed since his wife sent him out, and he's suddenly realized what he's supposed to be doing, he, he grabs his bucket of snails and starts running home thinking, I'm in so much trouble, I should have been home hours ago, she's going to be so cross with me. As he comes through the garden gate, because he's had four pints, he stumbles, trips over and the snails spill out onto the garden path. The wife hears the noise, comes to the front door and as expected is absolutely furious. He can see the rage in her face and he thinks, I need the perfect excuse. And he, so he gets down on his knees and says, Come on, lads, we're nearly there, keep going. <laughs> excuses, excuses is the title I've been given for today's sermon. Sometimes we may come up with the perfect excuse that exonerates us from all trouble. But that's not what we're seeing today in this parable. Also, sometimes, some parables of Jesus are really straightforward. There's one clear layer of meaning. There's one character that we are supposed to identify with. Uh, there's one single application for those who wish to follow Jesus. But that's also not what we're seeing in today's parable. First things first, it's important to remember, and thank you so much, Keith, for linking us back. This parable follows directly on from the first half of chapter 14, which Simon preached to us about a couple of weeks ago. So if you'll remember, you may, you may wish to quickly look back. Uh, Jesus has been invited to a meal at a Pharisee's house. He's being closely observed, and it's the Sabbath. And then Jesus heals a man who's been suffering from what sounds like a very uncomfortable position, heals him on the Sabbath. And then, when challenged upon this, Jesus proceeds to make everybody feel very, very uncomfortable in their own hypocrisy. So, let's take a look at three different ways we can interpret this parable, sort of almost three different layers of meaning. So, so the first option, the first perspective, is that the guests making the excuse are the main focus of the parable, uh, which would mean that God, God the Father, is the host of the party who's invited them, and Jesus is the messenger who comes out to fetch the guests who make the excuses. So that's perspective one. Perspective two, the host is the main focus of the parable, the person that we are supposed to empathize with and learn from. The guests making excuses are our friends who could pay us back, who could invite us to dinner in return, and the poor and the sick are people that we know, or maybe don't know, who, who can't pay us back, linking in with verses 13 um, and 14 before. And perspective three, often overlooked, the messenger is the main focus of the parable. We don't usually talk about the messenger all that much when we read this, but maybe we're supposed to empathize with the messenger, meaning that the party, the banquet, is the kingdom of God, and the guests are the people that we meet and know in our lives. So those three options. So we're going to take these 
one at a time, having a look at what the parable might be saying in these contexts, and then we'll retrace our steps back through, looking at what it might mean for us. So, first of all, perspective one. So it's useful to understand the social and cultural context at the time of how a party like this would work. Obviously, we didn't have email, phones, anything like that. So you would receive an invitation to a banquet sometime in advance. It might be days, it might even be weeks or months to this banquet. Then, when the banquet was ready, the master would send out a servant, just like we're seeing, to go and say, come, everything's ready. And you would, you would come in that instant. Um, <clears throat> the excuses given are people who have already had the invitation. They already know about the banquet. They've had ages to prepare and set their time aside, and yet they make these excuses, I've just bought some new cows, I've just bought a field, I've just got married. Now, some biblical commentators uh, have looked through Deuteronomy and have said, well, actually, we can pick out certain somewhat obscure verses in the book of the law and say that there may be a religious premise upon which these excuses are acceptable things to get you out of commitment, particularly the, the I've just got married one is particularly strong. However, most other commentators think that what we're seeing here with these excuses is much more similar to what Simon drew our attention to um, earlier on in chapter 14 with this lesson on etiquette at banquet tables, that it's a parody. These excuses are so awful, they're just silly. You would expect the audience to, to either laugh or, or maybe gasp in shock at just how bad these excuses are. And actually, there is a deep social insult. They, they, they're using very polite language. Please excuse me. Please excuse me. But actually, there is a deep social insult by not showing up at the last minute here. This is directed at the Pharisees. So the host of the meal that Jesus is at and probably a number of other people there are Pharisees as well. So the first verse that we heard today, verse 15. When one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, so heard what Jesus had just said about inviting the poor, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. This is probably a Pharisee speaking, showing off at his holiness and his righteousness. You almost imagine him polishing his halo as he says it, because the Pharisees believed that they were the ones who were invited to dine at the table in the kingdom of God. So Jesus has just said, there's this banquet in the kingdom of God, and all sorts of people should be invited. And this Pharisee has heard it and uh, said, uh, hey Jesus, well, blessed are the ones who are invited to the banquet in the kingdom of God, right? And then Jesus tells this parable to, uh, to demonstrate that they have had the invitation. The Pharisees are the keepers of the Scripture. Their job is to know the Scripture, to teach it to the people. They have had the invitation handed down to them through generations and generations. But they are the ones making the bad excuses now that the messenger has arrived. You've had the invitation. Here I am telling you the party's ready and you're splitting hairs over whether I should heal on the Sabbath. 
right in front of you. I'm telling you, God's kingdom is open and you're more interested in debating the minutiae of the law. It's like being handed a winning lottery ticket and instead of going to cash it saying, I don't feel comfortable about this because it's not printed on recycled paper. It's not that recycled paper is not important. The law is important, but let's have some perspective here. So it's like Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you think that you're blessed. Well, God is sending me, not to you anymore. I've come to you. You've ignored me and rejected me. So now I'm going to the sick, the lame, the poor, and then further afield, out into the countryside, the people who aren't members of our community. It's probable here that when uh, Luke does this, uh, tells the parable with these sort of two tiers of, uh, of going out. So first he goes out to the streets in the town to, to invite the poor, the sick, and the lame. And then the uh, servant is sent further out to go into the countryside. It's likely there that, that that's Jesus giving a hint to saying, my mission is first of all to the Jews, our immediate community, and then to the Gentiles. This is for everyone. But the Pharisees who got the invitation first, because you've had the scriptures, now you're rejecting it, we're going further and further out. Maybe Jesus is communicating to the Pharisees, you want to know why I healed this sick man on the Sabbath? Because he came to the party. He's accepted the invitation and recognized it for what it is. So perspective two, the host is the focus that we should think about. So Jesus has literally just said in his instruction, in verses 12 to 14, what we should do when we are hosting a banquet. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. If that list sounded familiar, it seems like it's on purpose. That is exactly the same list as the master in the parable gives his servant to go and find. Jesus, I think, has created an intentional echo here for what he's instructed people to do and to what he's now demonstrating in the parable, solidifying the idea that as well as being convicted by the guests making excuses, we are also to empathize with the host here. So Jesus um, is doing two things. He's establishing that this is God's plan to come to everyone with a particular focus on the poor, the people who need more help in society. But he's also saying once again to the Pharisees, so should it be your plan. In fact, it always should have been. You are called to go beyond your social comfort zone and help people who can't pay you back. More on that later. Perspective three, the messenger is the main focus. Now, we often overlook the messenger. He's, he's just a sort of a side character in this parable. But we shouldn't miss that the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, only hear about the party because the messenger brings them the message. People need someone to tell them that they are invited to God's party. 
And the importance of this is so clear. In, in Luke's writings, Jesus begins his ministry by making this declaration, quoting Isaiah. This is chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then also in Luke's writing, the beginning of the book of Acts, one of the last things that Jesus says in his earthly ministry to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Passing on the invitation to God's party is at the core of the mission, both for Jesus himself, for his disciples, and for those of us who are his followers today. So we have looked at these one, two, three different focuses of the parable, and now let's retrace our steps, three, two, one, to look for an application for us. So, starting with the messenger. Maybe God is nudging you today to be the messenger to someone. The core of our apprenticeship to Jesus is being able to invite people to this party. And it is so exciting to take part in doing so. We had the Alpha Away Day yesterday, which I know a number of you have been praying for, some of you attended. And we joined together with another church, and between our group and another church group, 40 people heard about the work of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit can live inside a follower of Jesus, how the Holy Spirit can change our lives, can heal us, can guide us, can direct us. And at the end of it, all 40 people stood up and invited the Holy Spirit to come and impact them. They responded to that invitation. Thanks be to God, and I believe many journeys were begun yesterday that people can sense God's goodness, God's guidance on their lives. Right now, over on the Isle of Wight, 46 young people are away on our Pathfinder weekend away, being taught by our fantastic team that they can be more than conquerors in Christ. Some of those young people haven't set foot in a church service before. We only got to know them a week or two ago. And throughout the work of this church, both, both in terms of these formal uh, groups uh, that, that I've described, but also in terms of our relationships, the invitation is being offered to people in our lives, across our community, across our nation. But there are more people who need to hear this glorious invitation. I find myself asking, when, when was the last time I told somebody that they were invited? So to whom are you, this messenger that we see in the parable? Is God giving you a nudge to come and take part in our youth or children's work to teach the next generation this good news? Maybe God's nudging you to invite your friend to one of our upcoming carol services or the next Alpha course in the new year. Maybe it's as simple as sharing the invitation to God's party with a friend or family member that you know. Number two, the host. 
Maybe the character of the host is how God is nudging you today. Is God challenging you to a more radical form of hospitality outside of your comfort zone? You may or may not be able to throw lavish dinner parties, but actually that's just one example. Uh, I'm going to share with you a reflection that I read a number of years ago that I was deeply challenged by, um, and and I hope you are too. This is written by uh, Pete Gregg, who is uh, an author, a pastor, and founder of 24-7 Prayer Movement. He wrote this. People tell me they have the gift of hospitality, by which I think they mean they like dinner parties, and they aspire to have beautiful homes and they enjoy entertaining, exotic, interesting, appreciative guests. This is not the gift of hospitality. This is the gift of a box of chocolates. Biblical hospitality starts in the heart and not the IKEA catalogue. It allows for interruption. It goes the second mile. It welcomes inconvenience. This is where I fail all the time. The Greek word for hospitality, philoxenia, literally means friendship to strangers. It's about kindness to people who are strange, to those we don't know, not to friends. This is where we get words like hospital and hostel. It's about caring for those who are hurting and welcoming those who are unwelcome elsewhere. I think this is what Jesus is getting at in Luke 14. Henri Nouwen, the great Dutch priest who lived the last 10 years of his life in community with those with profound learning disabilities, said that the highest form of hospitality is a particular kind of listening. Listening not to change people, he said, but offering them space where change can take place. Above all, therefore, Hospitality is outworked in a posture of radical presence, an attitude of attentiveness and availability. Or maybe it's the excuses of the guests who made you feel a little uncomfortable today. Perspective number one. Were they a little too on the money? I can't make this change in my life right now. Things are too busy. I'll be more committed at church once things have calmed down a bit. I'll think about my giving once I'm in a more secure place. I couldn't possibly fit a daily time of prayer into my hectic schedule. Jesus promises us in John 10.10 a life to all its fullness. He says that's where he's come to bring us. And that is a promise that we as Christians are, we love to hold on to that. We love to hold on to this idea of abundant life, life to the full, however you care to translate that. It's a promise we love. But what we sometimes miss is that this life following Jesus must be your life's main priority in order to experience that fullness that he's talking about. If we read on in Luke 14, Jesus immediately starts to teach his followers about the cost of being a disciple. Now, there's some really complicated language in there. That's another sermon. But the most famous element of it 
is that he says, if anyone would be my follower, they must pick up their own cross and follow me. What excuse is it time to stop hiding behind in order to follow Jesus with every part of our lives? What excuse do we need to stop making? Maybe, in fact, you're here today thinking about following Jesus for the first time. You're very, very welcome, if so. And I encourage you, don't find an excuse to hide behind. Accept this invitation from Jesus to God's party. It's the best choice you'll ever make. Just like every other sermon in this series, Jesus doesn't shy away from making people feel a bit uncomfortable in order to speak a truth. So if you're feeling a little uncomfortable today because you know you've been making some excuses, or if you feel uncomfortable because you know you're being challenged to a more radical hospitality, or maybe you feel uncomfortable because you're being nudged to start telling more people this amazing invitation, then that's good because it means Jesus' parable has worked. But I encourage you, as we respond in a moment, um, we're going we're gonna to sing a worship song in just a second. I encourage you, as you sing your response, to just take a moment to reflect in your heart on whatever's made you feel uncomfortable today and invite God to lead you on. Lean into that. How does God want you to respond today? Amen.